2: perfect white cotton t-shirt from quince Mm. but it was a little chilly out so i threw on my cashmere hoodie also from quince Ooh, Mm -hmm. okay like they have basically given me a lineup of timeless pieces that i feel like keep me looking i'm gonna toot my own horn effortlessly chic get warm weather ready with Quince. Go to quince.com slash forever35 for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's Q slash forever35 to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Quince.com slash forever35. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Forever 35, a podcast about the things we do to take care of ourselves. I am Kate Spencer. I am Doria Shafrier And we are not experts. It's true, Kate. We are not. But
0: we are two friends who like to talk a lot about serums.
2: You know, at what point do we get to change that intro and it is, it turns into, and we're experts? Like now? I mean, we could... You know, it experts about it. what, who knows? But <laughs> at some point, I feel like we've earned it. Yeah. What? I mean, like,
0: it's interesting, right? This is kind of an existential question of like, at what point do you become an expert? in something that you've been doing for a long time. And if the sort of the premise of our show was that we were coming at it from a perspective of perspective of not being experts, what does that mean
2: for like the direction of the show? You know? Well, I also feel like the more I learn, the more I don't know. And mm. thus, I almost become less of an expert.
0: Mm. Well, it's kind of like how, like, teenagers think they know everything.
2: Oh, boy. Don't I know it. I mean, I don't have a you teenager know? yet, but I have a, one who's close.
0: Right. So you're getting a little preview. I'm and getting it's a like, taste. Right. Because you're so young, you don't know what you don't know.
2: You yes. have the blind.
0: You have, like, the confidence of
2: <laughs> just,
0: you know, that's, like, I feel like that's why people who have like some, some people who have this like kind of weird self-confidence, it's because they've kind of, de- they've almost deliberately not sought out the things that would make them question anything about themselves or like the world, oh, Yes, Oh, which is, is like, my
2: theory, which is essentially what a teenager is. And I do think as a teenager, you do start to question and explore yes. all those things, but you do also go into yes. it with a little bit of a, like, assumption that you already know everything. Listen, we'll continue this conversation, but just a a friendly reminder uh, that if you want to reach us, you can chime in on this topic or any topic by leaving us a voicemail or text message at 781-591-0390, or you can email us at forever35podcast at gmail.com.
0: Yes. And do sign up for our newsletter at forever 35 com slash newsletter. You can visit our website forever35podcast.com. We have links to everything we mentioned on the show. You can also go to our shelves at shopmyshelf.us slash forever35 where things are arranged a little bit more kind of thematically. So if you're looking for like Kate's, all the thing that Kate recommends for butt care all in one place, it's all there. bringing it back to the butt. I mean, it just always goes back to the butt. <laughs> um we're also on Instagram at February 35 podcast and we do have a Facebook group um that is not run by us but is we're there yeah, we're there uh chime the password is in. we do chime in the password there is serums Kate mm. now that we've gotten all that out of the way and had a side conversation about
2: about <laughs> the, something
0: about something you have some you
2: have some big news. Dory, yesterday I went and I saw my hand surgeon. And I got an X I got my X-rays done again and showed him the progress I've made with my hand. And he officially released me into the wild. He said, <gasps> I don't need to see you again. Goodbye. Wow. Don't he said, wow. Don't take up skateboarding or go rollerblading. And I said, I also won't roller skate. And he said, good call. And then we literally fist bumped and I oh went on my merry way. Gosh. I know. And I fist bumped with my broken hand to prove oh. that I could make a fist.
1: Anyway, oh yeah.
2: So it's, it took 10 months, two surgeries, lots of physical therapy, but my hand is now in a place where I can just do all the strengthening and take care of it at home. It's not, it's not a hundred percent better, but it is in a place where like, I don't need to be going to physical therapy twice a week. Oh my gosh. This is huge. Honestly, it is because I felt pretty low in May when I had to get the second surgery. Even though it was like the right step, there is just something where it's like, oh my gosh, this feels like it's never going to end. And yeah. even though my hand isn't like, I still have a long way to go in terms of strength and mobility. It's it's so much better than it was before my second surgery. I can actually kind of grip things. Like before I would grip my steering wheel and my pinky wouldn't, my and my index finger or my pointer, wait, the ring, that's it they basically wouldn't work they were just kind of floating so it is exciting oh to gosh. have much yeah so that was exciting you know that felt good that felt like one <sighs> thing checked off my the to-do list of my body i mean this has been a journey it's it's been i tell you what let me be very honest with people i love like folks in their 40s and 50s who are like, I've always wanted a skateboard and here I am doing it. Like, Mm -hmm. I love it and I wish I could, but this has been a true lesson in just what can happen to our bodies and how it takes a little bit longer to heal these days than it maybe would have if I was 12.
0: You're really making me... So I, I don't know if I ever told you this, Oh boy. Because this is a real, I feel like this is a real Kate Spencer move that okay. I did. Oh, I, I bought a, it? Okay. I bought a pair of roller skates. Dory.
2: <laughs> what? I didn't know this.
0: Yeah, I never told you this. <laughs> Why did you hide it? I don't know. I guess it just like never came up. Now, the reason I, I say these. it is very Kate Spencer ish is because they've sat in a corner of my office ever I since I bought say. them. <laughs> I have never put them on. The intention was there. The intention was there. I was definitely influenced by those. Have you seen those TikTok videos of women in like their 30s and 40s who like took up roller skating at the beginning of the pandemic and now they're like doing backflips? Yes. (laughs) Yes. And I was like, I mean, I don't think that's going to be me exactly. But like I see, I could see a world where like I become really into roller skating and then I was like,
2: "What am I thinking? I'm going to break every bone in my body." Dude, <laughs> I am telling you. I mean, I am also very in terms of TikTok. There are like roller skating clubs, like roller skating groups yes. in like Atlanta who do like amazing dance moves around the rink. Totally. Like, they're so fun to watch and so impressive. And I could barely even, I can't even stop on a pair of roller skates. Like I'm not saying I could do this, but it's like you watch this and you're like, I want that joy. I want to taste this feeling. Same with the, same with the people who are like at the beginning of 2020, I bought my first pair of roller skates and you see them like dough legged rolling by. And then like two years later, they're like, you said, doing backflips and you're like, this could be me. Totally, but the truth is, let's be honest. It could be us, but you would probably end up in the boat that I'm in of ten months of surgery and other hellscapes.
0: I mean, this is this is my concern. I I remember years ago when I lived in Philly, I wrote an article about a roller skating club. I guess that was amazing, um, and you know, when I was little, I used to really enjoy roller skating, but like, I don't know. But it just, <laughs> when you just said that about being old, um, I was like, I need to tell Kate about my, my failure to launch my roller skating well, hobby. I would
2: also like, maybe you also should try it. I mean, that's the other thing is I would never want to discourage myself or anyone else from trying something based on, perceived limitation or fear but I, I do fair. also think like you also think like hurting our ourselves or injuring ourselves like that is an actual consideration that is I, and then trust me i'm a learning this the hard percent. way right I, like, and that's a thing. i also
0: i if i do decide to do this i need to get all kinds of pads which i don't currently have so i would just, not go out with no padding i mean you know, i just need knee pads i need elbow pads i need Wrist pads. I need a helmet. I need. I need a. Bubble, just put a bunch of like
2: purple pillows all over you. Strap a bunch of purple there pillows to go. your knees. Those are very yes, cushiony.
0: They're very cushiony. I should just strap you know, a whole
2: purple mattress to myself. Honestly, you should just <laughs> skate straight down the road and then flop into a purple mattress. Oh my god! <laughs> ah, this grid technology is so comfortable. <laughs> Sorry. I do really love our sponsor purple. I don't, e- I don't think they're even sponsoring us right now, but I just want to give them a shout out because I love their prods. Well, it's interesting though, because we both are kind of coming to this episode talking about moving our bodies. And yeah. I'm curious, like I, I, your update, I wasn't aware of. So you joined a gym. I did. I joined a gym, <laughs> like a traditional kind of like equinox crunch. New York sports yes. club gym. Okay. So, okay. Yes, I did join a gym,
0: a new gym opened, not too far from where I live. And I went to check it out and I was like, you know what? I think I'm ready to jump back in to gym world. I hadn't been inside a gym since lockdown gym
2: world. gym world. And
0: this one felt very like airy and lots of air circulating. <laughs> um, and yeah, it's been great. And another kind of fun thing that happened because I joined this gym is I was saying to my husband, you know, it's like it's it's close enough to our house that when I drive there, I feel really silly
2: because <laughs> it feels very you know Los Angeles. Mean? Yes. Yep.
0: But also like it's been really hot and like walking is hot over there like it's not like a shady leafy walk it's like kind of a hot walk and so yeah it's concrete
2: and yeah yeah, but i I was like but
0: it's kind of hot to walk and he's like well you do have a bike and i was like i do have a bike that i haven't ridden in so long and he very kindly like tuned it up for me oh he filled the air in my tires he like oiled it. He made sure the chain was like all lubed up and the brakes worked and all the stuff. And I was like, oh my gosh, of course, this is like the perfect solution. A bike. (laughs) Of course. Uh, Uh, Who who knew knew this (laughs) old trusty vehicle? (laughs) So this morning I rode my bike to the gym. So, you know, I think as we kind of Are deep in year three of the pandemic. Mm. I know that I personally am just kind of trying to figure out how do I live with this in the world Mm -hmm. while also
2: getting back into the world. So, this is the question we are all asking, isn't it?
0: Yes. And I have decided that going to the gym is something, going to this gym is something that makes me happy. And it's it's, you know, the risk of possibly getting COVID, I hope I don't get COVID there, I could, um, is worth it to me.
2: I welcome this story. I mean, I think that's that's kind Thank of you, where okay. I've landed. You know, like we we both are, we don't have, you know, we're not high risk and our family members are not. So we are coming mm-hmm. to it from that point of view. And I think yeah, I think we are going to have to figure out how to keep existing. It's really hard. Yep. You know, but I'm, I am support this. I think this is fantastic. Also, there's something I think I have, maybe, I don't know if you feel this way, but I have really missed just being around people. And it's not even that I miss like being around friends, which I do, but it's also the feeling of just like being out in the world amongst others, even if yeah. I don't know, know I wrote, them.
0: I wrote a very rambly thing about this in my newsletter the other day.
2: Maybe I'm just um, like copying what you said.
0: I, I mean, but I think it's a very common feeling that we're, that a lot of people are feeling right now. Like this need to be sort of in community with not just pe- like people we know, yes, but also just people around. Like,
2: mm.
0: you know, the idea of being amongst people is a very, I think a very human need. Yeah. Yeah, it um, really is. And, you know, I know I have personally been seeking out and setting up um, ways for me to be in community with other people, like doing work. And mm-hmm. that's something that's like really important to me. And I was like, I'm not going to wait around for someone else to like take the initiative to do this. I'm just going to do it. Thank and. You it's been great. So, and we're all rapid testing before we get together. You know what I mean? Like, and so I feel like that is kind of, that's how, that's the calculation I've made for mm. myself that I feel comfortable with. Um, we're not masked when we're together, but we're all rapid testing and trusting each other that like, if you have a symptom, you stay home and like that kind of thing. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like we're all kind of pros at this now.
2: Yeah, I think so. I definitely think so. I mean, I feel lucky that that is, you know, the kind of community we're in, but yeah, I'm with you. hundred percent. I'm just kind of like ready to figure this out because I want to, I want to be out there with people. Totally. I think I mentioned this previously before we went on our little July hiatus, but I have had to kind of recalibrate how i move physically and exercise because of my, uh, long COVID tired bodies situation, which means I'm, I have to like really take it more easy and not do super high and intense workouts. And so I have been walking, which, you know, like is the most obvious thing in the world, but yet I always kind of neglect that that walking is just, you know, a a physical activity that I am able to do. And it's been really pleasant. That's so great, okay? Now, because I am, of course, me, I have downloaded a habit tracker and I am trying to get 10,000 steps a day and track it. Now, will I ruin the joy of this? I don't know, but I will just, I'm just telling you for transparency, that is part of what I am doing, trying to get those 10,000 steps. Okay. But I also just love like getting up and going outside and seeing other folks out walking and... You know, I just my body feels good. It doesn't feel stressed out from it. It just has been—I don't know. It's been a pleasant experience thus far. So, I might be a walker. I, I a love walker. this for you. It's hard to slow down though. Like, it's very hard not to. Yeah. Be like, you gotta go harder. So, I don't know. We'll see how it goes.
0: <clears throat> it does anyway. occur to me that, like, we we are. We are both, I think, pursuing... I don't want to call them hobbies necessarily. Pursuits. We're pursuing
2: pursuits. (laughs) Well, I mean, Um, I haven't even told you about the pickleball lessons that I'm trying to coordinate. So like, stay tuned. You know, it's so funny,
0: (laughs) just as a sidebar, and I I mentioned this on Excellent Adventure. So if you listen to Excellent Adventure, you've already heard this anecdote, but I will tell it here since you brought up pickleball. Um, I have another friend... My friend Mallory, who is also trying to organize pickleball lessons. And I had said, you know, yes, I'm totally interested. Like everyone loves pickleball. It sounds so fun, blah, blah, blah. So she puts us, she puts a bunch of people on this text chain and we're like, she's like, I have this coach and we're trying to arrange a time. And then at one point I was just like, you know what, Mallory, I think I'm at hobby capacity. (laughs) You've maxed out. I've maxed out. I think I need to like, I I just like the scheduling of it. And I was just like, I just don't think I, I, I don't think I have the capacity to do this. Like, and she was like, Oh, totally get it. Now. I play Mahjong with her. So, you know, she's also, she's part of my hobby circuit. Yeah, she gets
2: what you do. Uh,
0: yeah, but she was like, you can take yourself off the text chain. I was like, great. And then I left the conversation.
2: <laughs> yes, Dory is out.
0: <laughs> but yeah, it was just kind of this moment where I was like, I don't think, I don't, I don't think I have the capacity to take on another hobby that like relies on other people for
2: scheduling. Mm, I think that's smart. I mean, it's kind of like the way, uh, parents are encouraged not to overschedule their children, right? Like it's also nice to have downtime. Totally. Wait, okay. So, what? so oh, but what I was going
0: to say is it occurs to me that both of us are oh, yes. engaging in pursuits that are kind of like lifelong mm. things like uh-huh. you can walk into your 90s, you know, yeah, hopefully, um yeah. and I, I think that like these kinds of things are things that will serve us well.
2: Well, it is, I, I think you make a good point, And I have kind of been trying to think about like, what can I do longer term? Like not mm. to circle back to the roller skating, which of course I hope people can roller skate forever. But for me, that just signals trip to the emergency room. And so I'm kind of like, how do I slow this down? And I don't know, do stuff that's maybe a bit more sustainable for my body, my personal individual body. Okay. Nobody else's. Mine. Oh, wow. We have really, we've really run the gamut and we haven't even gotten to some exciting news and our guest. So I'm just going to hand the mic to you, Dory, because I, we've got stuff to share. We really
0: do. Thank you for passing the mic to me, although I'm sure you could have done this justice as well. We have a really exciting update. As long-time listeners may know, we attempted merch in the past. And for various reasons, it just, it wasn't the right fit for us. And it just didn't work out. So we haven't been doing merch for three years, something like that. And then... A fan of the pod, whose name is Brooke Forry who runs a company called Balance Bound, sent us some of her planners. We've talked about them on the show. We love her stuff. She has these amazing notepads. Like, everything that she makes is great. And she suggested that we do a Forever 35 Balance Bound collab. Oh, so, God. this is it's- finally happening. and. The stuff is so cool. It's (laughs) like it's so good. good. There's there's planners. There's journals. There's pencils. There's notepads. There's there Dory's hotel. There's inside (laughs) jokes. Inside jokes. There's Dory's hotel keychains and matchbooks. (laughs) Match matches.
2: They're not match. They're not books.
0: Right. Little Um, match match sets. Little match sets. Like everything is so cool. And I think you're going to be obsessed with it. So it has just launched, and you can check it out at balancebound.co slash shop slash forever 35. We'll also link to it in the show notes. We'll put it on our social media. It's everywhere. But it's just really, it's, it also feels very us.
2: Yeah. And if it was, I a, may, you may, Dory. It's so. It's so beautifully executed. And like truly, it was such an amazing collaboration with Brooke, who is a listener. I also want to note, Brooke is a podcaster also. And if you are looking for another podcast to listen to, we want to just shout out her podcast, which is Good Enough-ish, which is like if you're in the mood for a gentle organizational kind of life advice, getting through the day podcast, that is what it is there for. Brooke has that soothing energy we all need and want. Mm. And let me tell you, she's also incredibly creative because the merch is great. It's really adorable. It's I'm really, with it. it's really cool. Yeah, it's great. We're, we're, we're excited about it to say the least. Only took <sighs> us four and a half years.
0: I mean, look, <laughs> we do things on
2: our own time here. <laughs> we really do. Oh, we do. <sighs> well, someone who is n- not doing things on a slow timeline no, <laughs> is our guest today. That's a great segue. Because
1: I mean, it's so, holy true.
2: so we had the absolute pleasure of getting to speak with Anna Malaika Tubbs. She's amazing. And she just turned 30, 30. <laughs> I, you don't even, you will not be able to handle uh. her bio. Uh, She's just, I mean, we just, our conversation with her, like this might end up being a long episode because it was so interesting and I felt like we could have gone for a hundred days. Like I, I just, know. Same. there were so many topics I wanted to cover. So Anna is a New York Times best-selling author. She's published articles on topics ranging from celebrating motherhood to addressing the forced sterilization of black women, as well as the importance of feminism, intersectionality and inclusivity um her book is incredible i listened to the audiobook it's called the three mothers and she's just like a knowledgeable brilliant human so i'm mm-hmm. sorry let me take this again her her book which is her first book is called the three mothers how the mothers of martin luther king jr malcolm x and james baldwin shaped a nation It's a New York Times bestseller, received critical acclaim, it was featured in places like Oprah Daily, USA Today, and I had the pleasure of listening to the audiobook, which she narrates, and it's just just fantastic. I learned so much. Um, It's just an amazing book. She's working on a second book, which we talk about, and she's just incredibly inspiring and fun to talk to.
0: Yes, and I should also say she's not one of those people that will like make you feel bad about yourself, like (laughs) that you haven't accomplished all these things by the time you're 30. Because she's just super nice and down to earth, and you'll love her.
2: Yeah, we. It was so so great to get to talk with her. We're so grateful for her time. So please enjoy, like we did, our conversation with Anna.
0: Wait, and oh. before we get to the conversation, I do just want to give a shout out to previous Forever Thirty Five guests, mm. Eve Rodsky, Eve. who is how we met Anna. And thank you, Eve, for introducing us. So a Connector okay. of
2: Humans, Eve. Connector Rodsky. of
0: Humans. All right, without further ado, here is Anna.
1: Here's a cool fact.
2: perfect white cotton t-shirt from quince Mm. but it was a little chilly out so i threw on my cashmere hoodie also from quince Ooh, Mm -hmm. okay like they have basically given me a lineup of timeless pieces that i feel like keep me looking i'm gonna toot my own horn effortlessly chic Anna, we're so glad to have you on Forever 35. Thank you for joining us today. We can't wait to dig in with you.
1: Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here.
2: So, to kick things off, we always love to ask our guests about a self care practice that they have in their own life. And this can truly be anything. It's really a reflection of what self care is to you and to our other guests. So Sorry for putting you on the spot, but we would love to hear about something that you do that provides you with a sense of self care. Mm,
1: I love that question. Um, there are a couple things. One is going to bed at the same time every night, trying to. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so that's been the thing recently. You know, I have two kids under three, um, and I realized I can't. Be the best parent I can. I could be if I'm not going to sleep, um, and I'm not taking care of that time and really setting boundaries around it. Because my husband doesn't agree that we like need to go to sleep at a certain time, and I'm no, we need to. Eat. And if you're not going to, the door is getting locked because I am going to go to bed.
0: <laughs> what no what time? Bed. <laughs> what time do you go to bed?
1: Ten thirty. It's not even that early, but ten thirty is what I'm trying for, and then trying to wake up around six thirty or seven. on days that I want to get a workout in in the morning, Mm 7 on days where I'm good and I just need to, you know, start getting ready for taking my kid to school and all of that. Um, So that's my latest thing that I'm really trying to focus on, like, consistently with my sleep.
2: Can I just circle back to how you navigate that with a partner? Because I think this is so interesting. I feel like rarely are there couples with the same, like, sleep habits and bedtimes and hygiene practices. (laughs) <laughs> well, have you, have you gotten your spouse on board with this bedtime? Do you all do different bedtimes? Like yeah. how have you kind of navigated this?
1: I think for a lot of years I felt much more so my husband and I we've been together for 11 years, married for 6 but together for 11 and I always used to think the priority was that we go to bed at the same time and together, you know, that was the most important thing. And so I was really, I would emphasize that. And I started going to bed later so that we'd go to bed at the same time. It was a whole thing. And then I realized this is not working for me. I like my sleep. We are completely different in this. And I actually think he needs more sleep too. But until he comes to that conclusion, I need to take care of myself and prioritize just going to bed over mm. us going to bed together. Uh, so it's, it's, it's hard to navigate mainly if he decides now's when I'm going to brush my teeth now's when I'm coming in the room at ten thirty, even though Anna told me she's going to bed at ten thirty so it's been a, a little bit of a contentious thing actually um but it's something that you know my counselor, my therapist has said, you can set that boundary and you can tell him this is when I'm going to bed, and if that hasn't really been respected, like yeah, i off the door like sometimes partners need a moment of like, Oh what, oh, this was a real rule. <laughs> mm. I understand now. Let's do this differently. So it's new for me, but I'm trying to be better about it, especially since having kids. You know, I think that kids will teach you very quickly that your energy is not limitless. You only have so much energy to give. And in order to be the best parent, especially because we want to be gentle parents, how can I expect myself to be patient on little sleep? And I don't want to feel guilty because I had a reaction towards my toddler. You know, toddler times can be dark sometimes um, when I really just needed to sleep. So it all kept coming back to rest is key and mom feeling her best is key. And that's where it all kind of needs to be. I guess yeah, it's for the- sealed,
0: uh, put your <laughs> oxygen mask on first, right?
1: Exactly. Exactly. So that's where I am, but it, it's, I don't feel like I have a good answer necessarily, but kind of shifting our priorities and we can still have a date night or something. And that's when our time can happen and, um, make sure we talk to each other and connect, but it doesn't necessarily have to be that we go to bed at the same time every day. So I let that go. I had to let it go. <laughs> <laughs>
2: well, it's funny too. Like, I feel like often what we've seen when, um, couples are modeled in pop culture is like they're in there brushing their teeth at the same time, you know, just like in these kind of stupid, you know, fictional portrayals. That's often how it is. They're going to bed at the exact same time. And that's definitely not how it is in my house. Um, I'm in bed earlier and and my husband's also the one who's coming in at like midnight and like clomping around and brushing his teeth. It's like, yeah.
1: mm. Well, I Mm -mm. read a whole article actually about this that some couples are even sleeping in like separate rooms if they have to so that one can get better sleep. But I have, I'm a really light sleeper. And especially since my kids were born, I became even more of a light sleeper because you know, you're always thinking, Oh, does someone need me? What was that sound? I need to go, you know, and it's not something that really happened for my husband. And so he was of the mindset of like, you can't control the whole situation just because you have to sleep. And I say, Mm -hmm. actually I can, and I will because in order for this family to do well, I'm gonna need to sleep, so I'm doing a favor not only to myself but to all of us, and we'll all experience the the results as,
2: <laughs> if we yeah, can do yeah. that. Yeah, and, and the benefits, <laughs> right, of you getting rest. Who knew I could talk so much about that? Great, great oh. first question. <laughs> we could, we could, we could probably devote an entire hour just to your 10:30 p.m. Seriously. bedtime. Like we, yeah. could. I mean, this this has been an ongoing
0: theme for us, like sleep hygiene, bedtime routines. At various times, Kate and I have both kind of taken this on as a personal project, um, (laughs) to varying degrees of success. I have, I have, uh, like a, I have a sleep disorder. I have night terrors. Mm -hmm. So I've had to be like really mindful about sleep. And sometimes I do better at that. And sometimes I don't, but the going to bed at the same time, every night is one of those things that when you have, a sleep disorder. They tell you is like so important just to have that regularity. So whether or not you have a sleep disorder, I think it's like it's so beneficial. So yeah, I was glad to hear you say that.
1: And I think we talk about it with kids all the time. Totally you know, we talk about their routine, but we yes. don't do that for ourselves. And once we do do that for ourselves, we actually can see that it's beneficial for everybody. So. Well,
2: I'm. I have another kind of adjacent question before we dig into um, your work. I saw that you recently turned thirty. Yes. So happy first of all, happy birthday! <laughs> I just also want to honor that you are a fellow cancer, and I feel like that's very important. Yes. You know the energy. Yes. Yeah. The energy of these conversations <laughs> can be very cancerian. I am a Taurus.
1: Okay, I don't know a lot about Tauruses. Yeah. Tauri.
2: I'm a July 10th. Yes, I am. A- I just had my birthday as well.
1: A happy birthday. Thank you. <laughs> Same
2: to you. Um well it, it let me to kind of wonder and I had read I think you posted about it on Instagram. But how how does one how does this new, you know, f- this feeling of entering this kind of new decade of age <laughs> feel for you? Yeah. And do you did, did you or do you do anything to kind of mark this transition from 29 to 30? I mean I, I don't obviously age is but a number
1: <laughs> and
2: can often really not mean anything but But it's also a nice time to kind of, I don't know, create a sense of a ritual.
1: Yeah, definitely. And I think some kind of, you know, ceremony and thoughtfulness and reflection. Absolutely. And I do that every year for my birthday. I have You know, I list out things that I want to improve on or things that I'm proud of or whatever. But this year, not only because I was entering a new decade and it was, you know, 30, um, but I also lost my mom this year. And um, everyone who maybe knows even a little bit about my work, it's all about motherhood. I'm all about celebrating moms. And even before I became a mom, this was something that was important to me because I had such an incredible mother. And so to experience this huge loss, um, that is so defining. And to also have many of my dreams come true when I was 29 this year, you know, um, not only that I was already a mom of a wonderful, incredible little boy, but I also gave birth to our daughter this year. And I became a New York Times bestselling author this year. And I got <laughs> thank you to <laughs> book deals to keep writing like this confirmation of you arrived in your career and it's just the beginning and also losing the person who was my guiding light in that and I needed to do something kind of that really reflected the moment <laughs> in that sense um so I just decided we're going to do a Mexico trip with my some of my closest friends and family um, we drove into Valle de Guadalupe, which is such a beautiful area. If people haven't been yet, um, wonderful food and you can go wine tasting and you can go to the beaches that are a little further away and just being with people in person because I'm the kind of person who even when a lot is happening, good or bad, I never really like break down. I have a way of keeping going, but that's not always a good thing. Um, and I needed to be with people to let myself be vulnerable and mm. laugh and be happy and reflect and celebrate and also have some moments where I cried and was held by my loved ones. And especially as a mom, again, like so much of this comes back to that. You don't feel that you have those opportunities all the time um, to just focus on you. And so I realized going into 30, I need this moment of let yourself focus on you a little bit more moving forward. And yes, your career is booming and there's so much coming and so much that I'm working on. Um, And how can I make sure that my not too many pieces fall, You know, not too many of the balls that I'm juggling fall, but only the ones that aren't as important. I can let them go intentionally more so than anything else. So it was a, this year was a lot of reflection. <laughs> a lot of reflection. And then the last thing I'll say is this, uh, this amazing photographer reached out to me a couple weeks before my birthday. She didn't know it was my birthday, but she was asking if I would do a shoot. Um, and if she could just do this, you know, one lifestyle shoot, I could wear whatever outfit I wanted. We could go wherever. And I thought this is a really cool way to mark. Um, that I'm turning 30 and I'll be able to look back on these pictures that were beautifully done and professionally done. And she was she blew me away. Her talent was just so incredible and the the eye in which she approached her work. And it's the biggest gift to have. I can go back and see them and even show my kids like this is what, um, you know, what was going on in my life when I was this age and you both were only my daughter's only 11 months old mm-hmm. and my son is two and, and nine months old um, so it really marked the moment for me
0: um that's really that's really beautiful and lovely and I think I saw at least one of those photos on your Instagram yeah they're on yeah. Instagram. <laughs> they're really,
1: they're really <laughs> beautiful Tere is the photographer if anyone's looking for a wonderful photographer in la she's amazing
0: Um, Well, you alluded to your New York Times bestselling book, Three (laughs) Mothers, (laughs) Um, and we wanted to talk a little bit about it for the benefit of our listeners who may not have read it yet. Can you just give us a little bit of uh, a summary of the book? And also maybe I'd also love to know just kind of how you came to Mm. this subject.
1: Yeah. So the book is called The Three Mothers, How the Mothers of Martin Luther King Jr., Malcolm X., and James Baldwin Shaped a Nation. And it's entirely about their moms, Alberta King, Louise Little, and Bertis Baldwin. And I was working on this book as part of my PhD dissertation. Um, and I came up with the idea um, after many different things. Of course, like we're all inspired by so many things that lead to big moments. But I try to summarize it by saying a couple <laughs> examples. One was Hidden Figures, this beautiful book by Margot Lee Shetterly that went on to become the film that many watched um, about women, black women who had been erased and the, their contributions had been erased, specifically in the math calculations they made for NASA. Um, and I thought this is so infuriating that this is the first time I'm hearing these women's names, mm-hmm. and this shouldn't be this way, and. I want to be somebody who corrects history in the way that Marga Lee is. I was also incredibly inspired by Isabel Wilkerson's Warmth of Other Suns and the way in which she tells this triad story to explain that if you don't understand Black American history, you're not going to understand American history, really. And the individual stories and the complexity of our identities need to be respected um, and valued. And these were the kind of two books that I loved. And then from a personal perspective of having a mom who cared so deeply about women's rights and mother's rights and who had dedicated her life to that and taken us around the world with her work, me, my siblings, um, being able to witness what she was doing internationally and in the US advocating um, for women and mothers to be taken more seriously and respected and, and given the supports that they deserve. So it was all this like hidden figures project plus motherhood, um, celebrating black women. I was really excited. And the way that I narrowed it down to these three was speaking about not the women behind the men, because I really hate that term, but the women before the men even existed. Mm-hmm. And the little bit of research that I did on several mothers of civil rights heroes and leaders made me think I'm going to do this also to fight the patriarchy really challenge this notion of the self-made man um, mm. and make it clear that no man is self-made
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: um, and do it very specifically with mothers of sons. So this is all before I was a mom myself. And um found out that Burtis, Louise, and Alberta were all born within six years of each other. And then their famous sons were all born within five years of each other. Hmm. And I thought, that's beautiful. I can bring together these complex stories and not reduce them, but instead bring them together in time rather than trying to generalize their identities. I could celebrate their differences while also speaking to the reality of what it is to be a Black woman, a Black girl born in the early 1900s, having a black child in the 1920s, many black children, and two of them not passing away until the 1990s. Mm-hmm. So that's it all just started to kind of come together from there. And then that's when I started my research.
2: I have lots of questions just as I'm in the the process of listening. I mean, one thing that I I have really been kind of struck by and reflecting on as I've been listening to the book is this idea of both generational trauma but yeah. also generational strength and what yeah. is, what is passed on. Um, and it's just been, it's been so moving to get to learn about these women. And, and even, even as I was listening, like you were, you're talking about their parents and I'm like, Oh yeah, they also had people in you know, it's like you, you realize it, but you don't. Um, yeah. so yeah. I would just love to kind of know, uh, like, how you, how have you thought about this kind of idea of passed on or generational experiences. Is it, is it something you've kind of thought about on a cultural level as a writer and researcher and academic, but also as, you know, in your own lived experience?
1: Absolutely. It's something I've always been very aware of. And I would say, I will give my dad credit on this one that he was always big on us understanding our history and like mm. who came before us. And this humbling notion of like, you did not do this yourself. <laughs> and instead you're continuing something that others did before you. And that that's not something to like undermine me and my accomplishments, but instead it really builds on the beauty of what the legacy that you're continuing. And so it's something I always personally think about. I'm very big on origin stories. Any of my friends, you can ask them and I know more about their grandparents and parents than most of their friends do, because that's usually where my questions go towards, you know, tell me your mom's story, tell me your dad's story, tell me um, your parents' story, your grandparents. It just is so interesting, the depth that you can reach in a relationship when you go further in time and see all of the ways in which that person is being influenced. And they might not even notice it until they start talking about it. And Mm -hmm. I say, isn't that cool that now you do this thing when your grandparent was, you know, dreaming of this years and years ago? So, um, I love making those connections, and I think it's really important, even when we're thinking about, you know, national leaders, politics, um, policy. What is it all built on? Um, and my next book actually is exploring this, like the system of American patriarchy and the way in which right now we're speaking about all these symptoms of American patriarchy as if they're separate of each other, rather than being built on the thing that's been in place since the founding fathers signed the Declaration of Independence. We always have to go back. And that sounds cliche, but that is the way you see how we're supposed to move forward. Um, Without that, without an accurate assessment of our history, um, accepting historical amnesia, for instance, we're not able to fix anything. And that's on purpose. So erasure is a very strategic thing, and we all have to do our part to fight that.
2: I mean, this is jumping ahead a little bit, but can we <laughs> can we hear a little bit about your next book and how it has been going working on it?
1: Absolutely. I started writing this one and I had the idea for it because on my book tour for The Three Mothers, I was really privileged to be able to speak to so many audiences because it was all virtual <laughs> um, so I spoke to more people than I was originally imagining and in every single conversation people would ask me how did Alberta Bertis and Louise get a race like once you read mm. the book or hear the book you feel so shocked i mean i didn't but a lot of people feel shocked and it's this moment of Obviously, these women were so influential on their son's lives. But why didn't we know that? How how, how did this happen? And so I really struggle with this question because I sit there thinking this is a really simple answer and it's also complex. But the simple thing is something we call patriarchy and the way it <laughs> intersects with racism, um, out of, with many other things that it intersects with, makes it so that the further someone is from being a white, cisgendered, straight, able-bodied man the less likely we are to value your life, um, not only while you're alive, but even more so posthumously, we're going to erase your contributions. We're going to make it seem like you were not needed at all. Um, And so when we're looking at Black mothers um, and we're talking about famous sons, it doesn't fit the American patriarchal notion that moms were influencing them and that these sons were following in their mom's footsteps for their careers. I'm not only talking about the life that they were beautifully given, but their careers, the strategies that they became famous for, they are learning from their mothers. And what does that do to change our entire understanding of American patriarchy? So this is what happened. And I was talking to my editor about it. And I was like, I want to write a book that brings it very clear to our minds and very um, to the forefront of our minds that we are all still being controlled by a system of American patriarchy. And it looks, it seems almost invisible because it's become so ingrained in our lives. And then we have moments of shock and awe. For instance, like when Roe v. Wade was overturned, people were shocked. That really shouldn't be shocking because the Supreme court is filled with people who believe in American patriarchy. And we shouldn't say, "Oh, this could never happen in the U S actually, the US was designed for that to happen. (laughs) So we need a book that people can go to where they understand that all of the different tentacles of American patriarchy are operating in these different ways. But until we bring our fight together, we're not going to be able to destroy that common enemy. And of course, it comes back to devaluing the feminine notions of community and thinking about interconnectedness in societies. And instead we're valuing the masculine individualism, which is tearing us apart. We saw this during COVID. We didn't have a collective response. We had an individual one in the U.S. So there's something very unique about how patriarchy operates in this country. And coming from my perspective of moving all over the place, mm. I've seen this. Um So that's the concept. <laughs> it's a big one. I was going to really say, <laughs> I
0: when, I, when, I, when I read about it, I was like, oh, my God gosh, like, <laughs> where like where do you even start? This is just such a huge topic. Yeah. So I'm so looking forward to your book, because I feel like you're so good at kind of distilling these, like, very big concepts um, that do affect our lives in major ways, but are so hard to kind of articulate. And you're so good at just distilling all of this. So I'm really, really looking forward to your To your book, but and I am curious, like, what is your sort of way in here Mm -hmm.
1: to this book? Yeah, so definitely starting with thinking about um, the research that I did for these three women, and it's kind of the problem has been like turned on its head because with them, I was one of the first people to study them, so I'm uncovering every detail about them, I'm like traveling the country, trying to meet family members trying to go through archives, calling local historians, finding census data, all of these things to put this book together. Um, there's so little out there and I have to uncover it. This book, the new book, which we're titling erased, which is both the nod to Alberta, Bertus and Louise being erased, but also the system of American patriarchy being erased. And I'm going to make it very obvious so that you can't deny it. And you just can put your hands on it and take it apart in a very simple way. Um, this is the, the opposite. There's so much I could say about American patriarchy. So I now just need to find the most salient examples. And my goal has always been um, I wanted to do my academic work. I wanted to get my PhD, but not because I wanted to become a professor right away. I could see that down the line more so because I wanted to be able to take these these concepts that seem complicated, like you said, and make them very simple because it really is quite simple even if it's complex in its scale, when we can understand the core idea, there's so much that we can do and bringing people to that understanding and getting people to see that they align actually in that understanding, then we can tackle some of the things that seem more complex because of all the different ways in which they're affecting us. Um, So my way in is really that kind of breaking it down, making it simple, um, modeling it. Similarly to the three mothers where you're having people that you can hold mm-hmm. on to that are walking you through some of these stories. I am vulnerable in the three mothers and I will be in this book as well. I'll share some of my own examples that people can hold on to and hopefully my readers will feel like they can be vulnerable. Um, but really applying it from the storytelling perspective and I write novels as well. I also write fiction and I'm shopping a fiction now as well. (laughs) But (laughs) my writing also takes on this like creative lens where I think people feel like you're hearing something that can be hard to hear, but you're understanding it. And that's my passion, really. Um, Yes, I have a PhD. Yes, I understand it, but I don't participate in the jargon. That's just not my thing. And I'm not saying that no one should. We definitely need that. But I don't perform on purpose, so I try to sound and it's not even to make it sound like layman's term like that, even that is a really exclusive thing to say. It's more so I just refuse to perform. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I would rather people understand me, Um, whether they studied sociology or not. You'll be able to walk with these books and, and, and hear what I'm saying. And hopefully, we'll bring more people to the same table in that experiment that I'm I'm performing and so yeah this is a bigger one but I'll also say that Isabel Wilkerson which she does in cast um, those who have read it and those who Mm. haven't I'm really inspired by how she took from her first books research and then applied it to this larger Mm. concept of cast in the US so I'm doing something really similar except for patriarchy
2: I can not wait (laughs) to read it I mean truly I can't wait
0: thank you So we're just going to take a short break and we will be right back.
2: You know, we have been delving more and more into the topic of our skin as we get older and how we treat it and how we love it. Because look, as I'm learning in my mid-40s, as you get older, you deal with new things when it comes to your skin. Not that they're bad; they're just new. You know what I mean? Like I am now just discovering crappiness story. Mm, Okay, which is okay. I know a bull on my (sighs) neck and chest. Luckily, it's a thing. It's a thing. Luckily, Oneskin, our sponsor today, knows all about things like crappiness. aging. I am particularly fond of their face topical supplement. It's essentially a moisturizer, but it has their Mm -hmm. proprietary OSO1 peptide to really help with all the parts of our skin that are exposed to environmental damage. You can use it on your face, your hands, your neck. I know here Mm -hmm. where we live in Los Angeles, our hands, we're driving, that sun is coming at us at all times. OneSkin believes the purpose of skincare is not just to improve how we look, but to optimize our skin biology so that it is more resilient to the aging process. They really create next level skincare. OneSkin is the world's first skin longevity company. By focusing on the cellular aspects of aging, OneSkin keeps your skin looking and more importantly, acting younger for longer. Get started today with 15% off using code OVER50, At OneSkin.co. That's 15% off OneSkin.co with code OVER50. After you purchase, they'll ask you where you heard about them and please support our show and tell them we sent you.
0: Why don't more infant formula companies use organic grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made ByHeart a better formula for formula. Learn more at BiHart.com. Okay, we're back.
2: You touched on your experience in academia and... I do think it's important to note that you do have your PhD, you've, you've gone through this amazing academic experience. Do you have advice for listeners who are currently in the process of getting advanced degrees and moving through those institutions, which, as we all know, connect to patriarchy? Um, mm-hmm. And I, I'd be curious, especially for black women who are in, in those spaces.
1: Yeah, absolutely. There's several things I could say about it. I mean, so much right. we're talking about. Another like, oh, podcast. Yeah. <laughs>
2: yeah. yeah, we'll do this the bedtime <laughs> podcast episode and then the academia episode.
1: Exactly. But for this, I will say it is important to remember that these spaces were not built for us to thrive in. Um, mm-hmm. And especially for women, women of color. There were so many ways in which people were trying to exclude us from being within these systems. And so I find it really important to always remember why you personally are entering this program and what your goal is, because it can become very easy to feel like you're supposed to do something because everybody else is doing it or because that's how it's always been done or Um, someone's telling you that you're not going to be able to do it the way you want to do it. Like I heard this so many times. I mean, we have to picture this. I am a Mm. Black woman who wants to write about Black women. And I'm at the University of Cambridge. And it's very white. It's very traditional. I'm writing from the sense and this perspective of I'm only going to really use Black women's voices in my analysis. I'm refusing to work with some of the classic, you know, sociologists that we're all supposed to quote or social scientists that everybody for no reason, I mean, it's like Marx and Weber and Durkheim. And I'm saying I'm not going to do that. I'm going to be quoting Patricia Hill Collins and Audre Lorde and Alicia Garza and Mm -hmm. like contemporary writers, even like, that's what I'm going to do. (laughs) And so how do you do that with still getting the degree? Um, there's a lot of strategies that I use. So one, knowing for myself, this is what I'm here to do. Not being distracted by anything else. So I wasn't trying to publish in academic journals. I knew that. So even if everyone else is saying, got to submit, we got to do this so that you can get the next job or whatever, I'm not going to do that. I need to remember that that's not my goal. And I am here to do something beyond the academy. So my work and my time is going to be dedicated to getting published and you know, the Times um, or in Huffington Post or Blavity or wherever where I can meet people with my work right now um, and not feel like I'm failing in academia because I didn't decide to publish in an academic journal. Um, So that's like one example. The other is I needed to seek advocates um, at the schools where I was an undergrad and where I did my master's and where I did my Ph.D., So I was fortunate to have women of color as my advisors, or if you're in the UK, as my supervisors, Um, and really telling them from the beginning, we're going to need to be and working on this together that we need to be strategic with my committee, I need committee members who are going to understand what I'm trying to do. I'm not interested in being like academically hazed, I'm not going to sit across Mm -hmm. (laughs) the table from someone who is not going to get what I'm doing. That's a waste of my time. Um, so you just have to be really sure <laughs> of yourself and shift when it's not making sense. I have a
0: just kind of general question based on stuff you've written, both in your book and elsewhere. Um, could we talk a little bit about the kind of cultural expectations for black mothers and the things that get projected onto black mothers, especially mm-hmm. those who have experienced like a very public trauma? Mm-hmm. Um what is that about? Why does that happen? And how can we change that?
1: Ooh, another podcast episode. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I will do my best. Um, there is so much to say about this. But one of the primary things that comes up in my work and speaking about Black motherhood in the U.S. is that if you say to someone, you know, when you think about a black mother, what do you think about many people will say something like, Oh, a grieving mother or something Mm -hmm. has happened to her children, or she's working really hard and she's so strong because all of these barriers are put in her place. And somehow she still persists. Like it's this very sense of like numbness to black women's pain. And I find it to be incredibly dehumanizing. Um, And that's not to say that we should not acknowledge the challenges that Black women have continued to resist. Um, And it's not to say that we shouldn't, um, you know, in a way celebrate what Black women have been able to do, um, because obviously I'm all about that as well. But we are dehumanizing Black women by removing the layers of complexity that, that our, our experiences consist of. We are actually women who have continued to create life and have continued to find joy and have continued to center that not only for ourselves, but for our descendants. We are women who have transformed the nation. When you look back through so many moments in American history, many of these changes happened because black women refused to accept the circumstance as it currently, or as it was um, because they couldn't that circumstance was telling them that they were not human that their children were not human and black women have said no we don't believe that and so we have to envision something beyond what's readily available and we have to make it true we have to march for that we have to fight for that we have to speak for that we have to organize for that um and so black women have been such visionaries for our entire nation and in our entire world that we need to start seeing, other people need to start seeing us in that way with the respect that we deserve. And yes, the balance of there are things we have gone through that need to shift so that more Black mothers don't go through this moving forward. Um, Don't put that on the shoulders of Black women and say, but you're so strong. Mm. And like, Mm -hmm. we really admire you for that. Instead say, this is a problem for our entire country And it's not okay that it has persisted for so long. What are policies that can change? And Black women are there and readily saying, here are ways in which we can shift the whole system. I don't want to do this anymore. I don't want to fear for my life or my children's life in the same way that the women I studied through the 1900s feared for their children's lives. It's not okay. So we need to continue to shift and we need more people to join us in that shift mm. so that it can happen faster. We're not waiting for that help. We're going to keep doing what we've been doing. However, the whole country will benefit if we start listening to black women, which goes back to the book I'm writing. A lot of it will come back to this is what black women have been saying all along. So now mm. let's start to, to act accordingly.
2: I think that also um, is applicable in talking about, Um, Arobi Wade being overturned um, and just where do we go from here? Uh, And I just wanted to touch on that before we wrap up our conversation. Um, You know, it's such a, uh, it's such a disheartening time right now, especially, although again, like you said, not one that should be a surprise for anybody. Um, And it's interesting to kind of reflect on this idea of forced parenthood, motherhood, birth, um, in addition to a conversation that I think takes place in your book and the ways in which, um, you know, black women have had, um, their reproductive rights taken away from them in so many different ways, um, right. in our country. So, I, I mean, this is now me just like broadly reflecting, but I, I guess I'm, I'm curious as, as to kind of, what have you been reflecting on in the wake of the Supreme court, uh, overturning Roe v. Wade. And do you have thoughts in terms of uh, how we can begin to kind of participate in concrete action that um, helps us move forward and continue the fight for access to reproductive justice? Again, maybe another (laughs) podcast topic. (laughs) I love we keep doing to you. To you. Mm-hmm. I have to do this to you you've got so many interests <laughs> like i could just sit here and talk to you about anything it's like we've got to talk about you know your nail polish yeah. color but also this there's a lot here
1: currently they're pink um okay where do we start with this there's so much to be said first this shock and awe thing i mean we said this a bit already but it needs to stop. We need to stop being so responsive to things and be preventative. This was not surprising. Yes, it's awful. Yes, it's it should not be the case that in 2022 women are feeling like they have no bodily autonomy, and I'm not I'm sorry, not I shouldn't say feeling that, that they are not being given bodily autonomy mm-hmm. in the country that they live in. Um it shouldn't happen. But if we keep voting for people who are then going to nominate people for the Supreme Court who believe what they believe that's what's going to happen and what's most frustrating is if we look at the numbers and I'm not trying to vilify anyone but the majority of white women voted for Donald Trump
2: I mean vilify and Donald away Trump
1: chooses people for his court and then we wonder like so that is the most annoying thing for people like me who study this. Mm. Like you had warning signs years before this, because this is how our country works. It's all connected. So just stop with the shock and awe. Like, let's just stop that. It's, it's exhausting and I'm tired. (laughs) I don't want the people like the the posts and, Oh, how could this, this is how there's a clear line. It didn't just happen one day and then the next day. And when the leak happened, we're now going to get up in March. No. So we have the shock can go away if we start to understand how that is connected to other things. Mm -hmm. We can't choose, pick and choose when we care about women's rights. You have to care about all women's rights if you care about women's rights. That includes caring about a system that, let's say, doesn't you know, care about affordable child care for everybody or quality child care for everybody. All of those, these things are connected. It's the same system that says that one person can go and pick up a gun and walk into wherever they want to, like, all of this is connected, and you are not removed from it. And so even if it's not hurting you at the moment, you have to be involved now. Because otherwise, more things are going to be taken away. If it doesn't serve the dominant group, I'm going to go from a bit of a sociological perspective here, and you have power that's been shared with you, that's usually only temporarily. And then when whatever need is met by the dominant group, that power is going to be taken away from you. And this is an example of saying, you know, throughout history, many women have aligned themselves with their whiteness rather than with other people who are not in the dominant group and have chosen that. And then are surprised when their temporary power has been taken away. Mm -hmm. So the only way for it to eventually happen so that the whole country is reorganized is that those of us who are not in the dominant group first choose to challenge it. And those who are in the dominant group choose to act differently. You don't have to keep power in your hands. You can exist in a system where things happen communally, where we understand the interconnectedness of our lives where we care beyond the individual, that is the only way forward if we want to stop having moments where some people's rights are respected and some aren't. And they're not separate battles. It's the same fight. Um, And we have to care about our country as a collective. The last thing I'll say is I always speak about, from a sociological perspective, the very first society is the family. And if our many societies, many societies that exist in the U.S., if they aren't thriving, they're going to have ripple effects for our larger society. And even if I don't live in your mini society, if yours isn't doing well, at some point, mine is going to be impacted. So that's where the perspective of caring about somebody else's society and somebody else's community comes in. Mm
0: -hmm. We
1: are all going to suffer if we keep existing in a caste system that puts some above others. So I'll say also read Isabel Wilkerson's caste. It will change your life. Well, for some of us, it's like, yeah, I knew. And like now I have the tool that I needed. And thank God, because I don't have time to like talk about this all the time. <laughs> mm-hmm. And for some, it'll be like, wow, I didn't think of it this way. And I didn't realize that the power I thought I was holding by aspiring to be dominant was temporary and could easily be taken from me. I have a lot more to Mm. say about that, but that's where I'm going to leave it. (laughs) Hopefully that made some sense. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I
0: think one thing that, you know, I've been thinking about a lot just in light of Roe v. Wade and the pandemic and just everything that's been going on is how much of an individualistic society we are and how the power of community is so important and I hope that we can kind of get back to those, making those connections and harnessing the power of community. Um, on a completely different note, this is the <laughs> yeah. last thing we're going Don't to ask, ask you. This promise. is totally full 180. But we do, <laughs> we do like to ask our guests about their skincare routines.
1: Ooh, uh, mine is not doing great right now. But okay. <laughs> <laughs> um,
0: so what do you have going on right now? And yeah. what products are you kind of loving, etc?
1: You know, the thing is, though, you know, when you're pregnant, and you're taking like your vitamins and your prenatal vitamins, and your skin is thriving, and your hair is thriving, and then I feel like usually around the mark where your kids turning one, Your body's like, ooh, we're shifting things on you. Like, that's where I'm currently, where I am right now. And I'm like, I got to figure out this new routine, like what's going on with the changes and everything. So um, one, I do still take the, the vi- prenatal vitamin because I'm nursing my daughter still. And I do think that's helpful. But two, I really like um, Cora products. So Miranda Kerr's brand. Um, she's a close friend of ours. And her products are amazing. Like they're so great for your skin. She has this whole like turmeric Line that's really wonderful. So I love that. Feels great on your skin. This is part of the sleep thing, though, too. Like,
2: yeah,
1: it all comes back to more rest. And my mom always said this, like, whether we had an attitude or we were whatever it was, she was like, "You're dehydrated." Like, it always came back. <laughs> that, like, like, if I, I was, I was like mean or whatever, so like, you just go drink some water and like come back and talk to me. <laughs> and so, drinking more water um, is a reminder for myself. So, yeah, you know, sleep, drinking water, taking vitamins, but also having grace with the changes that your body is going through. I think especially when, um, you know, you've created a whole human being, like, I always have to remind myself, like, hey, your body is shifting and that's okay. <laughs>
2: yeah. Oh, yeah. is it ever? I know. <laughs> yeah.
0: Um. Yeah. Well, Anna, this has been... So delightful! I, I feel like we could have talked to you for
2: several more episodes of we podcasting,
0: know. but we will we will let you go. Um,
2: we will for, we will put the request in when your next book comes. Yes, comes out. exactly. Put that out there. Please um, consider us
0: for our listeners who might want to follow along your work with your work and read your books and articles, etc. Where are some places people can find you?
1: Yeah, my website is just my name.com. So AnnaMalikaTubbs.com. And hopefully that'll be written wherever we post it because I know Malika yep. is a tough one to spell. <laughs> but or you can just Google Anna Tubbs and hopefully my website will show up. And from there, you can find my Instagram, which is my preferred social media. Um, I'm on Twitter, but it's not my favorite. I don't have a ton to say on there. But <laughs> if that's where you want to connect, that's fine too.
0: <laughs> Great. Well, thank you so
2: much. Thank you so much. Yeah, it was such a pleasure to get to talk to you.
1: Thank you both so much.
2: Okay, well, look, Dory, I think we gushed enough up top about Anna. Like, she's just amazing. I'm so excited for her second book, and I I can't recommend The Three Mothers enough. It was really great. (sighs) Well, Kate, we're now in the intention zone. Now, not to put you on the spot, but is your intention for this week to bust out, dust off those roller skates and just give them a whirl? Well, the padding issue. That's right. The
0: padding That's issue. Right. But maybe I will look into some pads because, you know, roller skating is a hobby that I can pursue on my own. Like it doesn't, you know, I don't yeah. need to, um, I don't need to find other people to do it with. So, and I realize that that kind of goes against what I was saying before about wanting to be in community with people. But I think
2: there's also like a limit to that. Yeah. I mean, it's also nice to be able to do something on your own, on your own time. Yeah. That is also just yours. And look, that doesn't mean you can't hook up with like a roller skating crew later on. Totally watch out world um if you right, start so- doing roller derby i will be here for it oh
0: my god what would my roller derby name be
2: i hope be something kind of punk rock in like 90s oh yeah all right i'll think about that um kate what about you look mine is mine is picking up where i left off in the beginning is just getting my uh getting my steps in and just just walking every day i just want to walk okay i love that that's it Oh, well, Dory, feels great to be back. I potting with you, yeah. Uh, friends, as usual, just a note that this show, Forever Thirty Five, it's hosted and produced by Dory Schaeffer and Kate Spencer, and it's produced and edited by Sam Junio. Sam E. Reed is our project manager, and our network partner is Acast. Thank you for listening. Bye.